All right. Perfect for us. Well, that was Liddy. Look. No cap. That was Liddy. Um, so good to see all of you tonight. It really is uh, just always such a joy to be here. Um, one of the highlights of my week, it really is. Um, just to reiterate our barn dance sign up, that the money for the registration, it's only $10, but it really helps us with sending out a suko, which you should also really consider going to. Um, talking about a Liddy time, you know? Uh, you know, just get out there, you wear your pump cap, you know, explore uh, the beach. Everybody has their pump caps on. Um, so, pump cover. <laughs> okay, um, great to see everybody. So, if you're um, new to large group or don't come to large group often, you know, here in RUF, we say every week you're never so bad uh, that you are beyond the reach of God's grace and you are never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace, that here in this space, in RUF, uh, we long to just be a, a loving and safe community uh, that explores what scripture says about all of life. So some of you may have grown up in the church. Maybe you're uh, believers. You've grown up understanding uh, by the Bible, learning more about it. It's been kind of a part of your lives. You want to grow in your faith, the grace of Jesus, understand more and more what that means, what that looks like, RUF is for you. But on the other hand, some of you may be here still pretty new to Christianity. Maybe some of you are skeptical about Christianity. Um, maybe you've been hurt in the past by Christians. Maybe you're burned out uh, by the church. Maybe you're confused about what the Bible really teaches. RUF is for you. RUF is for you too. So I'm really glad you're here. And I hope that we can get to know you and become better friends with you. Um, so our text for tonight is Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. It's printed in your bulletin there. And I'll read it in just a little bit. A couple weeks ago, um, I mentioned that Ephesians can basically be, be split up into two sections. So you have chapter 1 through 3. And it's basically just this huge overview of God's work, God's work in history, just the, the magnitude of what he's done, what he is doing, uh, that God has been at work since the beginning of time, and he's still working. He is not idle. He is working even now. And the particular work he is doing is restoration and redemption, that he is fixated on restoring this world from pain, suffering, sadness, violence, hurt, evil that is so prevalent that we all experience. Uh, not only in, in the world, but you. That he's restoring you. Ephesians 1.4 teaches us that before even the world's foundations, before anything had even been created, God had you in his heart and mind. So this should give us some assurance. It should give us 
confidence that God knows us, that he saw us, that he sees us, that he's working. But if I had to guess, it's really hard for a lot of you to believe that. It it can be hard for me to believe that. Uh, To have that assurance because often our experience is that God's work of restoration and redemption isn't happening. That for a lot of you, it seems things are actually getting worse. You may take one step forward with what you're struggling with, and then the next day, you take two or three steps back. Maybe some of you have lost close loved ones, relatives, family in your lives, And when that happened, your world fell apart. Maybe it still is in many ways. Maybe you finally get over one thing only to deal with 10 more things the next day. I'm sure you experienced that a lot in college, just even in class. You're anxious, you're tired, you're lonely, you're depressed, you're addicted to something. And it's so easy to look out and think, is God really doing anything? Is God even really there? It it reminds me of a quote from the author H.G. Wells. Um, Do you all know who H.G. Wells is? Wrote The Time Machine, War of the Worlds. Uh, And he had written shortly after World War I uh, saying this about mankind. Can we doubt that presently our race will more than realize our boldest imaginations? That it will achieve unity and peace. That it will live, the children of our our blood will live in a world made more splendid and lovely than any palace or garden that we know, going on from strength to strength in an ever-widening circle of adventure and achievement. What man has done, speaking of the war, the little triumphs of his present state, and all this history we have told form but the prelude to the things that man has yet to do. So this is a guy with a pretty high aspirations for for human progress, speaking right after World War I, uh, which was also called the war war to end all wars. Uh, But the only problem is, about 20 years later, World War II occurred. And after World War II, this is what H.G. Wells says. Homo sapiens as he is pleased to call himself, is played out. His depravity has come near to breaking my spirit. And after World War I, which originally, as I said, was called the war to end all wars, there was this glimmer of hope. You know, progress was occurring. And in Wells' opinion, uh, human beings were uh, making advances. Only soon to discover 20 years later, after the next World War, that it seems humanity hadn't gone anywhere. In fact, it had actually depra- it was more depraved than ever. Y'all ever feel that? And as we read, notice that Paul, in Ephesians 2, he doesn't mince words. He doesn't mince his words about the state of mankind. He doesn't paint this rosy picture for us. Um, no, it's actually the opposite. He gives as truthful of a picture as he can of the state of human beings. And it's dire. But within this dire picture of the world, 
he leads us to recognize even more of what God has done. The amazing grace that we've truly been given. So let me read Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. God, thank you for just uh, this letter that was written 2,000 years ago. Uh, And just the incredible truth uh, and love that it contains to us. I pray that we know it more that we hear from you tonight and that you would stir our hearts. Help us to understand who you are and the amazing grace that you give. It's in Christ's name, amen. So here's how I would like to frame this passage tonight. I want us to look at first where grace meets us. And then I want us to see where grace leads us. So where grace meets us and where grace leads us. So first, where does grace meet us? In other words, what is the state that we are in before God intervenes with his loving kindness? Uh, So look at verses one through three. Paul starts off by saying, you were dead. Now, basically, there are two types of people in this world. Uh, There's those who are alive by the grace of Jesus and those who aren't. Those who are dead. There's no in-between. There's no middle ground. There's no degrees of being a Christian. Uh, You can't be just a little bit alive and just a little bit dead or be one who lives a pretty good life, pretty good moral life, right? And therefore, just a step closer in the right direction, like only a little bit of Christian. Uh, Or on the other side of that, one who's really a really good Christian. You know, we hear that all the time, right? I'm really doing well. Um, I'm really strong in my faith, right? I'm a really good Christian. Um, who, who, as if like there's someone who's more of a Christian than others. That's, that's not it. There's two categories. According to Paul, according to the Bible, you are either alive or you're dead. Now, what does he specifically mean by dead? Because uh, obviously you look around at people who aren't Christians and you're not zombies, right? Like, it's not just... You know, that's not what he's saying here. And a a way to kind of highlight this, um, what is the difference between us, animals, and vegetables? Like, all of us are alive, right? 
All animals are, are like animals are alive. Vegetables are alive. Um, all grow. All have particular traits and movement and do certain things. Um, however, there's a reason why uh, it's really sad when you go to a hospital and a loved one is is on the bed, and the doctor basically tells you they are a vegetable. Why is that sad? Because there's a particular way that humans live differently than just laying there motionless, right? Being a, a, a vegetable, in, it's subhuman. And in a sense, this is what Paul is saying, that there are people out there before meeting the grace of Jesus that aren't fully living. They aren't, they aren't really living life in the sense that God intended. They're dead. Paul then expands more on what, what this means. And to put it simply, they are dead in their trespasses and sins. So they're dead in both their outward actions, their trespasses, you know, not uh, breaking a law, committing a, a, a certain transgression, uh, and their sins, what comes from within them, that, that we are indeed sinners, meaning that we can have the very best actions, but essentially have really poor motives or even look good without really loving another person. C.S. Lewis actually highlights this in, in a book of his where he gives the example of someone who accidentally trips another person uh, versus someone who intentionally trips another person to hurt them. Uh, that they're both the same action. They both have the same result. Person gets hurt. Uh, yet we get upset about the person who intentionally trips someone because it comes from this intention that we know is really wrong. And Paul is highlighting this in every person. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. And so he shows us three ways that this manifests itself. Um, number one, we are dead in our trespasses of sin and sins by following the course of this world. And Tim Keller does a great job of explaining this as um, our cultural worldview. During this time, Paul, he mainly interacted with two groups. So you had uh, those of a Jewish background, and then you had those of a Greek background, um, commonly referred to as Gentiles. When you hear of Gentiles in there, people of the other nations. Uh, and the Jewish people often struggled in following their own uh, cultural worldview assumptions by constantly pointing to their tradition, a tradition that was often considered um, concerned with social hierarchy, how you were doing, family responsibility, duty, good works, just evidence for your faith. And these people were constantly believing that life was really about keeping their family happy, keeping the status quo, making sure that they did whatever their tradition measured as success. But then the Greek background would often struggle in the opposite way. This group was constantly challenging the world uh, by turning inwardly towards their own personal autonomy, their own religious beliefs, what felt right to them, what made themselves happy, regardless of the tradition they were exposed to. And notice the Bible challenges both of these. It challenges both of these groups with the grace of Jesus. It says that both, in a sense, are following the ways of the world, the course of the world, 
So which group do you feel more drawn to? You know, some of you may be here today just because you know it will make your mom and dad happy. Maybe, you know, make your peers happy. Kind of keeps the status quo. Maybe being involved in a Christian group sort of provides status, popularity. You know, you have social uh, stuff, like you have friends. On the other hand, some of you may really be striving to just do what feels right for you. You know, whether that's physically, emotionally, spiritually, we all follow the patterns of the course of this world. We are all captive to this and we need to be rescued. The second way that trespasses and sins manifest is through the prince of the power of the air, what Paul says. And really, this is just another way of Paul describing the devil. Uh, That in those times, they believed that the devil mainly presided in the foggy air between the earth and the heavens. So you had God who sits in the heavens. You had the earth, the ground where humans are, and then everything in between. That's kind of where the devil worked. Um, Now, it's easy to dismiss the work of evil spiritual forces, the devil, in sort of our modernist society, our modernist assumptions that seeks to have autonomy and control over everything. Uh, But this is a biblical concept that goes back even to the very beginning of the Bible, where Adam and Eve were deceived. They were deceived. That note that our disbelief, our thoughts, our actions, are often influenced by deceit, by lies about what is really true. Think about all the things that happen to you that cause doubt uh, of God's goodness, all the hard stuff that you guys go through. Uh, And so you doubt what the Bible teaches is good for you. Could it not be that one of the primary reasons for this is that you're being deceived? You're held captive. This is what is meant by the prince of the power of the air found in verse three. We are all captive to lies, to the lies of the devil. We need to be rescued. But finally, Paul states that we also live in the passions of our flesh. What does that mean? Well, basically flesh was another way of saying our whole natural selves, just our whole being, us as people that we are people of flesh. That the reason you constantly gravitate towards desires that may go against what the Bible teaches is because you desire the wrong things. You have an impulse to move towards it. It's why you look at porn. It's why you get excited about making a new luxurious purchase uh, with the hope that it's gonna meet all of your longings. It's why you uh, scroll on Instagram or TikTok all day long, just longing and hoping that you could be like that one day or desire to have that life or selfishly want recognition or status at all costs, whether it means gossiping, whether it means uh, just getting ahead in any way you can because you're captive to your own desires. You need to be rescued from it. We all do. And all of this is Paul's way of showing us where we are.
before we met the grace of Jesus. And when it comes down to it, we are utterly helpless. A, a couple years ago, there was a story in National Geographic uh, about this couple that was on a day hike um, with uh, this touring group in the mountains of California. And they decided to split from the group and go off on their own little adventure. Uh, well, they get farther into the woods and decide that they need to turn back. And after a while, they discover uh, that they are only further in the woods and completely lost. Um, so they soon come across a campsite, hoping that this is like some hope to get them back. And it's abandoned. They find a journal, and the, the words in the journal, all, all it says is, it's hopeless. There's no way out. <laughs> they were completely trapped. No radio, no cell service, nothing to help. So the only thing they decided to do that could give them any hope was to set the whole place on fire. So that meant they would either, they would either be burned up with the fire or with the hope that someone would see that flame and come and rescue them. But the point is they couldn't do anything. They were either gonna die or get rescued. They understood the dire situation and no amount of working harder or just running more or going longer was gonna help them. Someone had to come. And in the same way, this is where grace meets us. And in Paul, in Paul in verse four, he pins, in my opinion, the single greatest two words in all of the Bible. But God. That on every single passage in scripture, you can come to the conclusion, but God. Why am I here? But God. Why am I a Christian and other members of my extended family aren't? But God. Why after years of running from Jesus, of following my own cultural assumptions, of listening to my own lies, of deceit, of succumbing to my own fleshly desires and impulses, would I now be standing here believing in the mercy and grace of Jesus? But God, because of the great love with which he loved me, even when I was dead in my trespasses, made me alive together with Christ by grace I've been saved. The grace of Jesus met me and it rescued me. He rescued me. Utterly lost in the forest with no hope. Jesus saw the burning flames and found me. And notice where Paul says this grace leads us. Know that it's not a grace that just gives us the tools we need to accomplish our own salvation or our own good works. That actually, when, when you hear Roman Catholic uh, definitions of grace, this is more of kind of what it's talking about. It's giving you the grace to be like Jesus, to be able to, to um, basically be good enough. Like if you think back to the National Graphic Store, or Geographic Story, it'd be like the rescue comes, but then just throws down a map and that's your grace. Now you just work your way out. Yeah, no, uh, Paul, Paul says it is no way our own doing that God resurrected us, 
raised us up and seated us with him on his throne. And what Paul is pointing us to here is where grace leads us. And he leads us to a place. It leads us to a place. That grace meets us in our sin and our trespasses, and then it leads us to the cross. It doesn't just give us resources to fix ourselves, but it leads us somewhere. It leads us to a historical event with a real person who died, was resurrected, raised up, and now currently sits with God on his throne forever. That is where grace leads us to. What Paul is saying here is that all of who Christ is, all of what he has accomplished, all of what he did is now ours. You are united to him by faith. You are united to that history. All of what he did. This is the grace that Paul is speaking of. Not just some sort of thing that you have to cover yourself with. That I did something bad, I need grace now, let me pat it on. No, it is being fully united to God in Christ by faith. It is by grace you have been saved through faith that you are not defined by the action you did today or that thought you have about that person right now or that thing about you that you would never ever in a million years want anyone to know. You are defined by Jesus. That's it. That's what Paul is rejoicing in as he speaks. That is the good news. So as I close, what does this mean? If this is true, what does this actually mean for you? What would this mean if you really believed it? How does it really change? There's a, there's a story about a slave during, during just that heinous part of American history, the slave trade. And he was bought at an auction by a wealthy landowner So he gets taken to his house and is awaiting whatever hard and painful suffering that was most likely to come and whatever work, you know, he was going to be assigned to. And and when he gets to the house, the owner takes him upstairs to the best room and gives him a feast and lets him enjoy all the comforts of his home. And then the owner smiles at him and says, I bought you so that you could be free. You are free to do anything you wish. You can go anywhere. You can have anything you desire. That's the reason I bought you. I bought you because I love you and I didn't want you to be a slave. That's why I bought you. And the slave looks at him dumbfounded and says, I can do anything? Really? Like, I can go anywhere? I can have anything I want? And the owner says, yeah, I bought you so that you could be truly free. And the slave looks at him and says, I can't think of anything else better than to be with you right here in this house. This is where grace leads us over and over and over again. Back to a person. Back to Jesus who bought us because he loved us. Back to a master who wants nothing more than for you to just be with him walk with him, enjoy him. That there's no better person to be with than to walk alongside. Let's pray. 
Dear God, thank you for uh, time that we can study your word, that we can hear from you, hear directly from you. I pray that uh, it would move us, that we would, uh, we would be eager to know more and more about all the ways that you've rescued us and that it would drive us further uh, to just being with you, to following you, to serving you because you are good. It's in Christ's name, amen.